there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Can you introduce yourself? Of course. Actually, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm a big fan of everything that you've been doing lately um, for all these nurse practitioners that I think are benefiting so much. And, and I appreciate very much what, what you've been doing. But I'm Jessica Stalzar. I um, created NP Insiders and I basically did that because I see a need for, for clinicians, nurse practitioners, especially to learn a little bit more about orthopedics. And we see so many orthopedic patients in primary care, in the urgent care setting, in the emergency room. And a lot of these patients go to these places looking for nurse practitioners and clinicians that can help them relieve their pain. And that is mainly like their goal, right? Like I was looking at some of the data from the literature and I found out that about 213 billion healthcare dollars are spent every year on these patients, you know, the, the, the back pain, the shoulder pain and the knee pain. And then we also have all these patients getting older and older and we have to learn how to properly manage them and how to treat them. And not always the answer is a referral. There's a lot that we can do in primary care to take care of them. Totally. So you are a primary care or an orthopedic NP? So I'm an orthopedic nurse practitioner, cool. but I also do... <laughs> I'm board certified in orthopedics and I am board certified as, as a family nurse practitioner. Okay. I do work also in the walking clinic where the majority of the patients that come in have orthopedic conditions. Oh, so I see yeah. a lot of the back pain, the shoulder pain, the knee pain, the recently, I, you know, the, the elbow pain, which is not so much elbow, a lot of it become the lightest. And then unfortunately they, you know, they have been given things that perhaps don't really work properly. Um, and I've been so glad to be able to help them that, in, in, the, in those terms. How long have you been working in orthopedics for? So orthopedic, orthopedics kind of landed on my lab. I remember graduating from MP school. All my experience from graduating actually back when I was a nurse was in ICU. And then I did family and then I graduated. And then I had three jobs. I had a job, I think it was at, a, at an urgent care, kind of like walking clinic. I had a, a job at a plastic surgeon office. And then there was this job at the orthopedics department at a university. Um, and the lowest paid was the one I chose. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was the orthopedic uh, job. And I think that the, the reason that I chose it was more of a strategic um, decision rather than, than, oh my God, I've always wanted to do this. Because mm -hmm. from my interviews, I, I got the, the, I felt, right, that I was going to learn so much more from this, from this opportunity. And, and I think that was the right decision. 
um, I was trained alongside with the residents. I was trained by world-renowned orthopedic surgeons, mm -hmm. and and they they really supported my growth. And mm -hmm. and I mean, the first year was really hard because in NP school, as you know, you don't get a lot of orthopedic experience. I mean, mm -hmm. we're very good, and we hammer down the the heart stuff and the lungs and the <laughs> kidneys and the diabetes. But then musculoskeletal is like, yeah, 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 they have pain, but you know, <laughs> that's not like that, that that's not life threatening. Like these mm -hmm. are the things that you need to know. And mm -hmm. and so to land a position right out of school in orthopedics was a big challenge. Mm -hmm. But I said to myself, mm -hmm. okay, I'm ready. And I think that I'm gonna be able to learn the most out of this opportunity. And um, one of the things that I was thinking earlier today is at least for me, I like to be the engineer or the architect of my career. And mm -hmm. I think that as NP, sometimes we we marry with a certain specialty or 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 what have you, and we don't see um, what is it the the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees. I can't remember the right way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is so true. And because I opened my 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 eyes, my mind, and I just took the plunge. This has led to so many opportunities. I, I even was able to. I've been able to all these years to first assist. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. Unfortunately, um, recently, like when you work like at a university level or like university hospital based, there's a lot of residents, so you don't get to do a lot of the hands-on um, things, which I'm trying mm -hmm. to do more like on the outside. Yeah. And uh, that's something that I also have on the works, right? Like, because um, mm -hmm. I'm a first assist but i'm also get, getting the actual certification i think i mentioned that earlier to you yeah. off camera that unfortunately from nurses like we are asked so much um to show for like mm -hmm. okay well if you're an np you have to be either family or cute or you have to you know to have this specialty and you have to have this certification board and you have to have this other certificate and if you don't have them then you cannot do that and then we all, we see other healthcare providers that are not like asked for as many things as we are mm. and whatever it is what it is but i continue to grow and and to invest in my in my knowledge and i think that as nurse practitioners we have to do we have to do this right to totally. to to be able to to get to where we want to get to it is possible yeah. And I think one of the questions, so we asked some questions, um, what questions the audience had for you as an orthopedic NP. Yeah. And um, one of the questions on that topic was like how you came into it. Like, did you, did you find a job apply? Did you know a person? Did you do a fellowship? Did they just happen to train you because that's just the culture of orthopedics? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, was there any sort of formal fellowship or residency program that you did? No. So I think, no, no, no. <laughs> um, I, and I get this a lot, right? Yeah. My, my, my experience was very different. I went into, into the interview and I did do a lot of research before I went into the interview mm -hmm. and I knew a lot of diagnoses when I went to the interview. So I was clinically ready to mm -hmm. answer diagnoses like orthopedic related diagnoses questions. Mm -hmm. And I think that that them during that interview that even though I was a family nurse practitioner with relatively zero experience in orthopedics I had that desire and mm -hmm. and I read an entire book it was about a thousand a hundred pages about <laughs> orthopedics 
I'm very intense when I want to. Woman after my own heart. I and, love that. <laughs> and, um, and, and so they saw that initiative and they saw that desire. And mm -hmm. I think that, that that's what won them over during the interview. They also noticed that I had ICU experience. Yeah. And, you know, the word around the block is that ICU nurses um, love to learn and, and, and they're very like focused and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, demand a lot from themselves and give a lot of themselves. So I don't know mm -hmm. if that helped them to make the decision and to hire me, but I think that I want to, I want to believe it did. Yeah. And then the interview just went really well. I had three rounds of interview. I was interviewed by, by a CFO mm -hmm. first, and then I was interviewed by like the clinical manager. And then I was also interviewed by a panel of surgeons. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, wow. and, that was very <laughs> and then I was interviewed weird. again by the same surgeons because they really wanted to go with me, but they wanted to make sure that I was the right fit. Yes. For sure. And so that was kind of like the, the final interview, that's awesome. but that's how it, like I landed that position. And, um, one thing I want to say to nurse practitioners, do not be turned off. If you see a job posting that says you need three years of experience in this specialty or that specialty. Yeah. My, my personal life, real experience is that that job mm -hmm. said that you needed three years of orthopedic experience and I had zero. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so it really, um, it really comes down to, to wanting to do, um, and wanting, you know, to be prepared and, 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 and then just having happen, happening to be in the right place at the right time. And, and then the opportunity, um, lands on, on your lap. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Um, and, uh, so some of the other questions I, you and I could talk for a very long time. So we're going to try to, yes. we're going to try to narrow it in. We, and we have talked for a very long time about this. Um, but I think I'm, it's so hard to pick all of the questions that people had were so good. I think it could be like hours, right. If we wanted to talk about all of them. So we're going to try to focus in. I think the main theme of the questions were a couple things. So one of them, I mean, I think the general theme of what I'm trying to convey in these um, interviews is like, what do we wish we knew? What do specialists wish we knew in primary care? They're like, oh my God, another referral that is for this, that shouldn't have come to me. Like those kinds of things, like yeah. not to, and, and there's no judgment. There's no shame about referring yeah. people. I think that our aim here is to help with the educational piece, right? Cause I think a lot of new grads feel uncomfortable with the amount that they refer anyway. So no judgment on that. Um, but yeah, so from that perspective, what, what are some like, what are some common pitfalls you see of primary care providers sending to orthopedics that shouldn't come to orthopedics, for example? So I'm gonna preface my answer by, by it depends. <laughs> Every, <laughs> everything is relative. Perfect. Um, so, I, uh, so far I've, I've been in orthopedics almost, I think six years is going to be six years oh, soon. And I've had two different positions into different hospitals in orthopedics. So yeah. the first one, um, had a different approach. The one that I'm in right now has a more strict approach and they do desire for the patients to be worked up, um, before mm -hmm. or prior to, to referral, mm -hmm. um, where I was before it was more a financial, uh, driven uh, specialty, so they yeah. didn't mind seeing you know whomever. Right. However, however, there's a caveat. There's a lot of surgeon dissatisfaction when they see 
20 patients in one clinic day and only one or two were surgical. Like they're not really mm. using the, the, their specialty and their skills to, to, to the top of what they could do if mm. that is the bulk of what they're doing, right? right. So if you're a surgeon, I'm not a surgeon, but I've, I've worked with plenty of amazing surgeons, yeah. but the mindset, and, and, and this is for all MPs to know, the mindset of the surgeon is that they want to do surgery. Yeah. So it is awesome if you can get into a relationship with surgeons where you get the patient um, to do conservative therapies and, and to exhaust conservative measures mm. before you do that referral. Mm. And this is very common in, in osteoarthritis, unfortunately. So you get a lot of like, yes, I have knee pain. Okay. For how long? Oh, for three months. And it's kind of like mild. They haven't really tried any conservative treatment mm. and they're coming to a specialist. If I were a patient, I definitely would like for my primary care provider to know that I'm going to be spending a lot of money going to that specialist yeah. and probably not going to get so much out of that visit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if I can save that money by doing more of the conservative treatments um, that are out there, that that I can do and that I'm interested in doing then by by all means you know if I if I, I have failed that then by all means I want to go and see a surgeon mm -hmm. and and so that's kind of like something that that I do have noticed a lot but then mm -hmm. the other side of the coin is that if as a primary care or urgent care or even emergency provider you're seeing these patients coming in but you're not very familiar with what to do then you have no choice but to refer. Yeah. So then how do we figure that out? And I've been doing a lot of thinking in that. Well, yeah. learning more. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. And I think that like, I think it's, it's challenging. Cause I, when I have students and new grads that I'm mentoring, like I talk about like, what is the rationale for referring? Cause I think I remember when I was a new grad, especially being like, so nervous that I just would do something instead of like, okay, take a second. What is the rationale for this? don't panic. Cause like the main reason to refer is either for diagnostic clarity or for yes. treatment. And so it's not wrong to refer people no. to orthopedics for diagnostic clarity, but there's so much opportunity for us in primary care to like know more stuff so that we can hold on to that like sooner. And one, and one thing too, is to have at least like your differential diagnoses, right? Yeah. When, when I, unfortunately, and you see this a lot, like I am referring because of a symptom. Well, let's try to at least get to a diagnosis. Like, what is this? What are we talking about? Like, mm -hmm. let me bring up the knee because mm -hmm. knee pain is so yeah, common, right? right? In primary care. So knee pain is a symptom. It is not a diagnosis. Yeah. So what is this, right? Like, is the patient an older patient? Are you thinking more of a degenerative um, finding? Is this osteoarthritis? Is this um, a meniscal tear? Are we talking about a, a patient in their 20s, in their 30s? Um, I do see a lot of uh, clinicians going for the MRI before they mm -hmm. even order the x-ray, right? Like mm -hmm. the plain yeah. x-ray. And then especially like on our older patients, like in our late 50s or 60s, they come in with MRI and yet they don't have plain films. Well, mm -hmm. we should start with the plain films. The, the plain films first yeah. and then talking about the the, the plain films um I, I you know you mentioned some of the questions earlier 
but there's a way there's a right way of ordering the plain films and we can talk about that <laughs> I was gonna say let's, maybe let's segue into imaging because I think that's like yeah. such a big question and I know for me like my orthopedic knowledge is fair um but I am not an orthopedic NP I'm a primary care I'm I try to, I try to be a jack of all trades, but it's mm -hmm. not as robust as I would like. So I think for me, I'll just speak from my own personal experience. So like, for example, if I have a knee pain, my, I I'm, I've done a couple of interviews talking about, um, physical therapy and mm -hmm. I, please don't take offense to this. I think I might've already yeah. told you this, but I think like the general pathway of orthopedics is NSAIDs, physical therapy, injections, and surgery. Like that's tends okay. to be the general arc. I don't know if that's real, but that's like what I've seen in primary care at least. And so I tend to refer patients to physical therapy, but when it gets to that place, if they have fully, fully engaged in the recommended physical therapy for that full course, no improvement, then I'll refer them to orthopedics. And I personally don't love ordering imaging first because it feels like there's a different request based on the office. <laughs> and maybe that's not real. So why don't you tell us? I think that I think I'm sharing that as an anecdote because I think that's a very common experience for people where they're trying to do right by the patient, still are not clear with diagnostic clarity and then aren't quite sure where to go from there because it seems like sometimes orthopedics will order different imaging or reorder imaging, things like that. And so orthopedics does that because they're not, because the patient is basically coming with the wrong images. Okay. And so I think that we can say, <laughs> I mean, not I good, we, obviously, but <laughs> I think we can save the patient time and money if we get this yeah. cleared up. <laughs> yes. So the, I, I don't know how it works at your clinic or different hospitals work differently. But the the kind of like the the main type of films out there for for knee pain or or for knee X-rays is kind of like a three view mm -hmm. or plain uh, three view AP lateral. Uh, unfortunately, that is not the right one. That that typically is done mainly in the emergency room when mm -hmm. the emergency providers are trying to rule out a fracture and you don't want to um, get an X-ray on a weight bearing. Um, uh, status right you don't want to get weight bearing right. x-rays you right. you want the patient not to be to be non-weight bearing so that in case they have a fracture you're basically ruling you know you're 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 not making you're not damaging or making more giving more harm to the patient mm -hmm. but the right um films to order and i'll give that to you um our four is actually four of them and the first one is the ap mm -hmm. and the ap is it has to be weight bearing and when mm -hmm. you order that you have to state that, and, and I have to do it all the time, even in, 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 in specialty practice, uh, standing AP or weight-bearing AP. And mm -hmm. that is actually the only way that you can visualize the joint space. Mm -hmm. And the, the practicality of having a weight-bearing AP is so that you can see if there's narrowing of the medial joint line or lateral joint line, mm -hmm. if the patient no longer has any cartilage and the, the, the knee is bone on bone, or if there is enough cartilage, and this is kind of like a benign x-ray. Mm -hmm. And so when you have enough cartilage, then you basically, the, the, the cartilage doesn't show on, on the x-ray. You just see kind of like a, like a gap. Mm -hmm. And um, fortunately, I, and I know like in primary care, a lot of the providers are mainly reading the reports rather than actually visualizing the, yes, the, the x-rays. Um, but if you do have some time and you do have the chance, look at the x-rays because you're going to learn so much from them. So that's, so that's one of the, one of the views, right? Then you also want to get a weight bearing flex knee or like a PA view. And that's basically from the back of the knee. And that way you don't miss 
like uh like you know like like osteoarthritis but like in the back in the in the posterior aspect mm -hmm. and then you can also get a merchant view it's also called the sunrise view and that's basically looking at the knee from the top and looking at the pat uh, patellofemoral joint and then you can right away like diagnose well not right away but it can kind of like guide you into your potential diagnosis if there's narrowing mm -hmm. how much narrowing there is then then if you have narrowing in that merchant or sunrise view, then maybe the patient has some sort of patellofemoral syndrome of, of some sort, especially mm -hmm. if the patient says, I'm having pain walking down the stairs, mm -hmm. and then you see a merchant or sunrise view that is narrowing, mm -hmm. then that kind of like clicks. And then they could also have osteoarthritis of the, mid, uh, the, the medial joint line and the lateral joint line, but then you're also depending on the symptoms and the history that you get could be leaning more towards the one that is causing most of the symptoms right mm -hmm. and then the last view is kind of like the lateral view but that one doesn't give a lot of information so if if you if you don't have to get that one you don't get that one but definitely <laughs> the way bearing ap that's essential like that one is mm -hmm. is essential uh the merchant view i definitely do recommend it in in, in the way bearing flex knee the, the posterior anterior uh, view those uh, that one is also called the, the Rosenberg view mm -hmm. um, but those are kind of like the, the main ones mm -hmm. um, otherwise then then you do miss the, the correct diagnoses totally. right so totally do you ever do you ever get x-rays and then you can skip the MRI because you've gotten all of those images or is oh, it absolutely cool that's good to yeah. know because I feel like sometimes like I just, for some, and maybe this is just the healthcare system, but I feel like sometimes I see that where it's like, it's almost like you need an x-ray to buy you a multi, an MRI, right? Because the MRI doesn't get approved unless you have something first. Yeah. And so sometimes it feels like there's going to, there, there's going to be an MRI done anyway. So I'm going to like, let them do the right one. But, um, but that's really helpful. That's really great. That's, that's yeah. really, um, and, really and good. when it comes to like, like imaging, a lot of the times you don't even need that MRI. Yeah. And I think that's why too, like they have implemented and put all these things into place yeah. because unless you're completely incapable or unable to diagnose based on clinical symptoms, physical yeah. exam and a plain x-ray, um, then really like there's no merit for, for that MRI. The MRI mainly looks at the soft tissue. Yeah. So if you're trying to, mm -hmm. to rule out like, um, osteoarthritis or even a fracture x-rays are the things to get yeah. and um mri is more if so the clinical picture that i'm thinking when when i want an mri is um 20 plus 30 plus year old who just engaged into um trauma yeah. or, or had some sort of injury right like exercise related yeah. sport yeah. And then he's complaining of instability of his knee. Mm -hmm. And then he has a big swelling knee and I can't even do the, the, yes. the instability yes. testing, yep. right? The maneuvers oh, like the yes. test for the AC, uh, ACL or, or, or MCL because they're, they're just so mm -hmm. in so much pain. Then I do definitely want to get an MRI. So the MRI can look at the sub tissue and the ligaments, mm -hmm. and then I can rule out or rule in an ACL um tear or even the medial lateral collateral ligament uh tears so then so then that's why like that that's that's like one of the reasons why i i would go for that mri before even thinking of of the um of the x-ray but definitely if you don't learn if if, if like if no one takes anything else except the uh imaging go for the x-ray first <laughs> <laughs> and the right imaging. So, yeah, so 
I have a question based on that. So like my experience of ortho so far is like in school, I think every school does their best effort to do as much as they can with the amount that we need to learn that time. I feel like the way that I, at least the, the takeaways that I've gotten from ortho is like, oh, it's just the structures that are in front of you. This is easy. Just do these special tests and you'll have your answer. Is that real? Cause I feel like that's, <laughs> I'm being like very candid on this interview. I just feel yeah. like that, that, I don't know. I do feel like you feel comfortable with the special test. Cause I, I guess, so I guess the context is that I work with a lot of new grads and I think there's this expectation similar to ordering a lab test being like, okay, here's this lab. Here's your answer. Mm-hmm. For me, it feels like those special tests are difficult to learn difficult to like feel the true differences and like may or may not be related to the actual underlying. Like, I feel like your knowledge as a specialist NP is like so sophisticated that you can see the whole picture and it's not a plug and play thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? No, no, no. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent. But so here's the thing. I think the difference between like, let's say orthopedics and and other specialties, or even, you know, as a family nurse practitioner, as a family nurse practitioner, I also practice, right? Yeah. And I also do uh, work also like in the urgent clinic, like I was telling you earlier. Um, But here's, here's the thing. Orthopedics is very hands-on. So it's not, we don't depend so much so on labs. Mm-hmm. rather than on our touching and feeling and watching and seeing yeah. and and it's very you, you need to develop this tactile sense and mm-hmm. and also you depend a lot on, on the imaging yeah. so you're not reading reports as a matter of fact when mm-hmm. when patients come in and they just have the little piece of paper that's another pet peeve tell oh. your patients to take the cd with the images <laughs> Good. That's when they go to the specialist. Yeah. Yeah, That's a big takeaway. Mm. Like if you go to like an orthopedic surgeon and you take your little report from the radiology department that says that you have an impression and you have a a list of a million things, that's not high yield. Like they, like the orthopedic surgeon wants to see the, the, what the knee looks like, like the intricacies, like Mm. what does it look like on imaging? Because many times things either, I'm not going to say they get missed, but like the, there's many, many things that, that you can think of when you correlate that clinically. Mm-hmm. And so in school, I just think that they threw out us so much mm-hmm. and it was like, Oh, so comprehensive. I cannot do this, but there's a lot of high yield, um, physical exams that you can mm-hmm. do that are so easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I say this because I have done this so much, but I'm going <laughs> to, but I really, I really think that nurse practitioners have the capacity. I promise you, mm-hmm. you and everyone as a nurse practitioner has the capacity of doing the essentials mm-hmm. and the essentials can be as easy. And let me, let me just walk you through like, like a physical exam for the knee. Now Perfect. that we're talking about the knee, right? Let's talk about knees. Do it. So watch the patient walk. <laughs> like, do they have a limp? You know, mm-hmm. that will tell you a lot right and you don't have to have them uh run the catwalk or walk the catwalk no it has it could be just five feet right like and you you can notice that like is there their gait ontologic do they have a trendelenburg um gait so that's something that you can pick up in less than two seconds right you don't want to miss that visualize the knee visualize the skin that's another key thing and and I've had many patients come in with very tight clothing <laughs> that they cannot lift their, you know, their jeans or pants. 
And I'm like, no, I'm going to have to step out of the room and you're going to have to get on a gown. You have to do that. Like if you're mm-hmm. dealing with musculoskeletal things, you have to visualize the skin because mm-hmm. the last thing that you want to miss is redness or warmth mm-hmm. or big mm-hmm. swelling or a draining wound and pus. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to miss that because you didn't look under the hood, right? Totally. And so that is something that like, let's say that that if you're in primary care, you, you can kind of like prepare for the next day and you see that the main complaint is kind of like that, that knee pain or hip pain or shoulder pain, then I don't know if you if you um, have like clerks or, or MAs that can kind of like do the call and just say, hey, you know, just make sure you're coming for this musculoskeletal complaint, bring mm-hmm. comfortable clothing or clothing that can be removed really quickly mm-hmm. so that the clinician can visualize and look at the skin and do a thorough assessment. So that is another key. And then you don't really have to do that when you have the patient in front of you and you're dealing with diabetes, right? Or, or hypertension. Right, but these right. are like little nuggets of wisdom that you want to think about yeah. when you're dealing with musculoskeletal care. Totally. Um, I say like every single time I have a knee pain, they're always wearing tight jeans. Like every yeah. time. <laughs> like, oh man. And then you can see it. And then, you know, something that I've seen a lot, like you ask the patient, okay, so have you had any surgeries in the past? Oh no, no, no surgeries. And then I'm looking at the knee and I'm like, what is this big scar? Oh yeah. Hmm. Some surge. I was so young. And I'm like, okay. So then by just visualizing the skin, you totally. can really get a lot, a lot of information. Um, then the next thing is super easy when they're either sitting on, on the examination table or laying down, you can feel for crepitus. So you kind of like mm-hmm. put your knee on your, your hand on, on like the patella and then have them extend and bend the knee. And then you feel that grinding. Mm-hmm. And then that, you know, that could be, that could either be, you know, patella femoral or just, you know, arthritis that is kind of like really advanced. So that's another key thing that you can pick up right away. Then you lay them on their back and then you want to assess the range of motion. Um, I, I will try in, in, in my channel to kind of like give a visualization of how to do this because I know in words doesn't always translate uh, properly, right? Then, totally. then when you see it. Totally. But you want to know the limits of range of motion. Like, yeah. can the patient make the leg straight? That's zero mm. degrees. Can they bend it in how far? Yeah. Um, you, sometimes you, 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 you can miss a contracture, like when you don't have mm. them laying flat because they're like, you know, they, they cannot make their leg straight, like their knee. And they, they basically, they're like, there's a bend. They cannot go all the way down to zero. Yeah. Um, and then you want to do ligament testing. You want to test your MCL, your, your, your ACL, um, there are certain maneuvers are better than others mm-hmm. in clinical practice. Mm-hmm. And then um, that's kind of like a quick, like a quick knee assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't take that long once you know what you're looking for. If you don't know what you're looking for, and if you don't know how to do it, yeah. then I feel you're going to just be all over the place. You're not going to be focused. Right. And then mm-hmm. that can be a little bit overwhelming for both the patient and the clinician. And then mm-hmm. you have so much information that you don't really know where to go. Yeah. And I think, I think I've kind of noticed that to myself in terms of like, when it comes to orthopedics, it's almost like, so a lot of people think about it from the like diagnostic, um, step, like the, the diagnostic maneuvers first. And it's almost like you kind of have to go backwards, like where you need the differentials and the structures, and then you're verifying it with the maneuvers versus maneuvers first and diagnostic clarity next. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. But one of the main things is the history, like Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. so important because mm -hmm. it really can guide you into what you need to test and what you should pay attention um, more than than one thing more than the other. Um, like for example, if I have a patient and the patient is in their 60s and mm -hmm. and they're having pain that is chronic and it's bilateral mm -hmm. and you know and and they're having pain going up and down the stairs and this thing they have tried everything and nothing works. So I'm thinking, no, this is a mm -hmm. this is this is arthritis. Now, if I have a younger guy or younger girl, a younger patient in general um, coming in, and they say that they just have been experiencing a lot of swelling, it's constant on and off, then I'm thinking, could, could this be a, a meniscal tear? Mm -hmm. um, if I have a patient that comes in and says, you know, I had this injury, right? And I feel that my knee is giving way, then I'm thinking, well, could this be an ACL tear, an ACL related injury? Mm -hmm. uh, so th that's like, I'm paying attention to, to what they're telling me mm -hmm. and the complaint mm -hmm. that they're saying in the history. And mm -hmm. then that history is really what's going to guide me into then my physical exam and then what kind of um, imaging mm -hmm. and, and, and treatment mm -hmm. I want to do. And we, especially in primary care, I think we can start a uh, treatment even without getting the imaging, especially yeah. if it's something chronic, you know? Yeah. yeah. And actually that's, I think that's a beautiful segue. Cause like, there's so, like, I just want to ask you all the questions, but I'm like trying really hard to hold, hold myself <laughs> back. Um, you are a wealth of knowledge, my friend. Um, if we, if we want to segue into talking about some treatments, so, yeah. um, I think the main, if I remember correctly, um, we had so many questions. I think the main, the main thing, and you actually, you can also speak to the main things that you're seeing in orthopedics sure. and also in urgent care. But I think arthritis is like a huge question of like how to help people. And then people also have questions about opiates, which you can, you can talk about or not talk about it's up to you. I know it's controversial, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, any insights you have to share or things you wish primary care providers knew about treating, treatment in general, but specifically arthritis plus or minus. No, opioids. Absolutely. <laughs> we don't like opioids. <laughs> so, um, so, so opioids, and, and this is something that, that I, th this is kind of like the, the, the spiel, sh the, the spiel that I give to my patients, like, mm. uh, opioid medication is going to only mask your symptoms is not going to target the pathology. Yeah. And when I, and, and, and I try to say that in much simpler words, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but you do understand what I'm saying, right? Yes. Like, like, you know, we, we, we give all these medications and, and unfortunately we have this epidemic, right. Of patients mm -hmm. becoming addicted to opioids mm -hmm. and it's because we want a quick fix, mm -hmm. but you know what, that quick fix can actually do more harm than, than good. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. when it comes to, to medication, especially for, or for osteoarthritis and, and musculoskeletal, you, you want to decrease the inflammatory process. Mm -hmm. You don't do that with opioids. You don't do that with tramadol. You don't do yeah. that with codeine. You don't do that with morphine like you don't do that with any of that you yeah. do that with anti non-steroidal anti-inflammatory uh, medications yeah. and and so yeah there's some there's some go-tos that i that i go to uh, especially if the pain is chronic in nature or if the pain is acute i do have my go-tos and and if it's the knee the shoulder the back but NSAIDs are kind of like my, my go-tos for mm -hmm. musculoskeletal complaints, especially mm -hmm. osteoarthritis. So when it comes to osteoarthritis, moderate to, to mild, moderate and, and severe osteoarthritis, um, NSAIDs really, really do help. And you need NSAIDs for, well, actually the, the, so the treatment guidelines, right, is high dose long-term. Now, 
there's a caveat with that because then you have you can get into trouble with MSIDS, right? Like patients with renal disease, patients with GI complaints, um, patients with blood disorders. Like you really want to make sure. I mean, nothing nothing in 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 healthcare or medicine is is straightforward and, and everything is tailored to, to the patient you have in front of you. So you need to make sure first if this is safe for the patient. Yeah. So in the setting of osteoarthritis, always you, you can always go to the cortisone shot. You have the cortisone injection. So let's say that you have a 65-year-old female who comes in, she has renal disease and you're afraid of giving that NSAID that you know that is basically what's going to help with their pain. Well, you can do that cortisone injection, right? Like that mm. intraarticular cortisone injection. Mm. Um, the, if, if, the, if the arthritis is moderate to severe, there's nothing else that you're going to make worse. It's already bad. I mean, this pathology is not going to get better. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to make it worse if you give the cortisone injection. Mm -hmm. You're not going to give the cortisone injection monthly, mm -hmm. but definitely giving a trial of a cortisone shot is, I use a uh, typical, I don't know if, if, if you want to get into like what I use. Sure, <laughs> if you want. Canalog, 40 milligrams intraarticularly. Yeah. with some lidocaine like that definitely does the trick uh, for for patients and so um that helps a lot for these type type of patients that have osteoarthritis and that you're afraid of of throwing that instead that can actually worsening worsen other comorbidities you know and so mm -hmm. and so i think that a lot of clinicians don't know that and mm -hmm. and they abstain from that or just refer out mm -hmm. um but and that's something else that i would love to do i would love to teach because I, I was reading a paper and, I, and, and, and about this. I would love to teach like primary care nurse practitioners and nurse mm -hmm. practitioners everywhere how to do these procedures because this is a high yield mm -hmm. and even financially and also for your growth mm -hmm. that you can show to your employee or even if you have your own clinic, hey, I can offer I can offer this right as a mm -hmm. service. And that is something that I used to do in my in my other job. I actually was they they worked based off of um, RVUs. My yeah. RVUs were really high because I actually had I implemented a um, procedure clinic day, yeah. and so yeah. I some a lot of the patients I saw like I'm like oh I I think that you will benefit from this or that, and then I would do cortisone injections or hyaluric acid injections depending on who I was dealing with. And then mm -hmm. those procedures really kind of like help to also showcase nurse practitioners in the, mm -hmm. <laughs> in the field. And I think these are tricks, right, that that mm -hmm. all of our colleagues can learn from. And and um, these procedures definitely will kind of like put them mm -hmm. at, at another level. If, if they yeah, like. no, totally. And um, I love procedures. I think they're so fun. I think the main hesitation that I've heard from people with starting them is that discomfort with the diagnostic clarity. Like, I think yeah. that if it was very clear already, either from their own diagnosis or a specialist diagnosis of like, here's what they have, here's the treatment, or they've already gotten one injection. It's like, oh, okay, I can keep doing injections in primary care, but like, I don't know if I feel comfortable enough making that definitive diagnosis that it's not something of all these other options, you know? Yeah. And one thing with the injections, especially with cortisone, um, you, you don't want to do it. Like I said, very often, but yeah. you, you can do it like uh, twice or even even up to three times. I've seen some surgeons being comfortable with yeah. a year, yeah. especially if it provides a lot of symptoms um, relief yeah. for the patient. And it's also saving the nuclear option, which is a total knee replacement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if mm -hmm. we if we can if we can continue to manage our patients that way, 
then by all means. Um, another thing that, well, you mentioned it, like physical therapy. And I was going to say, I like can't, I'm like trying to hold back from talking about physical therapy because I'm obsessed. I like, I like <laughs> understand what they do now. And I'm like, oh, how do we not talk about this more? <laughs> so here's the thing. Like, so when I started my practicing, like in orthopedics, I'm like, wow, physical therapy. I mean, this, this patient's kind of uh, are in a lot of pain and their knees swollen. And then even the patients themselves say, oh, I can't even exercise because it hurts so much. How am I going to do physical therapy? Well, you have to understand, right? Like you said, the, the, the meaning behind physical therapy and the, the theory or is, is, is evidence-based is that the motion and the physical activity actually increases the joint capsule flexibility mm. and the compliance. And so it allows the joint inside to kind of like expand and it decreases the, the intra-articular pressures yeah. um, that, that are happening because there's so much inflammation and swelling and the knee can only swell so much. Mm -hmm. And so physical therapy can help that too. And it mm -hmm. also strengthens the periarticular um, structures around the knee mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And that load um, of, of the of the weight from, from the body doesn't automatically go to the knee. It, it can kind of be... Um, redistributed, right? If, yeah. if like the quadricep is strong, um, but the one more goes. treatment and yeah. we missed this. And I stress this, have the patients lose weight. Yeah. And it sounds so simple, but mm -hmm. I think in osteoarthritis and in musculoskeletal pain and complaints and aches is so valuable. And I've read so mm -hmm. many studies about that, like 15 pounds, which mm -hmm. yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, it's a lot, yeah. <laughs> but, but in someone who is a little more on the overweight side, it's not so much. Like mm -hmm. if they stop mm -hmm. drinking, you know, sugary uh, foods, I would uh, from beverages and and mm -hmm. and decrease the amount of carbs, then then yeah. definitely they can get there. But ten to fifteen pounds of weight loss can drastically change their symptoms. Mm -hmm. I had this one patient; she had end stage OA, but her BMI was about forty. Mm -hmm. And I unfortunately do see, and it, it happens, right? Like patients are getting joint replacements with, with this very high elevated BMIs. Mm. Um, but sometimes it's a disservice because when, when they, they are obese and, and their BMI is so high, then you basically are exposing them at um, jo uh, the, the actual knee joint failing and because of the weight load. So you, you didn't really target, right? Like the, that basic non-invasive um, treatment, you didn't exhaust that, you didn't have them lose weight. And I think mm. that having our patients lose weight, um, they will feel mm. it. I had, uh, going back to, to what I was gonna say, I had this patient that I had a one-on-one -on -one, like deep conversation with her and I convinced her to kind of like lose the weight. She came back three months later she had lost 35 pounds Gosh, wow. and despite the fact that her knee still hurt, it wasn't as overwhelming as it mm. was the first time. And she was so happy and excited. Mm. She even brought everything that she had done to, mm. and then I'm like, I want to use you as a model to all my patients <laughs> because the thought is like, well, I'm, I'm inactive. I cannot do any exercise. Well, you can stop exercising your mouth. Um, <laughs> like this but um, <laughs> um but definitely like I know it's really hard it's really hard yes losing mm -hmm. weight is hard 
but 80 to 90 percent of our weight loss comes from what we eat or we don't eat totally and totally. i um i've set a lot of initiatives at my my place of employment where i utilize a lot of the nutritionists and they have mm -hmm. helped big time Absolutely. um and then there's so many resources online too where patients can go to and that i i've, I've definitely recommended books online resources that they can utilize so mm -hmm. that they can work on their weight loss Absolutely. and then I love to see them back and they're so happy and they're so trim yeah. and then they're like, I'm doing so much better. And it's such yeah. a satisfying feeling that, that without throwing so many things at them and just one or two things, you, you, you have such a big impact and such a high yield impact on them, cool. you know, and also their complaints and their pains and aches. Absolutely. And actually I have a, just for reference, if anybody uh, watching hasn't seen it, there's, I have two videos on weight loss counseling and management for medications. Cause I think, I think like you were saying, sometimes like it's hard. I think like, that's like another, not to go like off on a tangent, yeah. but I feel like in terms of schooling, like that's another area that we are sort of briefed about, but we, it's an art, you know, cause like you, that's, there's, that's lifestyle modification. That's habits. Mm -hmm. That's there's so much involved in that. And so I think like, if there's one pearl to take away talking about having those conversations about weight loss, as it relates to orthopedic issues is like treating it, like you would treat the same, um, seriousness and, and the same attention and care and support the way that we do for hypertension or diabetes. Like we can make a care plan. We can have them come back. We, you know what I mean? Like yeah. anyway, but, um, and you don't but have to throw everything at once, right? Like, yes, totally. um, you can start, Cause that's, that's something else that I've seen. Like when you throw all these things at them, they don't know where to start yeah. or like what's the best totally. approach. And they, the patient, uh, understandably so is going to get overwhelmed and just give up because, oh yeah. my God, I, I just, I, I can do, I can do this. Totally. Um, something else. And, <laughs> and I've gotten a very funny answers from my patients, assistive devices, right? Easy, yeah. like a cane. Yeah. A lot of my female patients don't like that <laughs> and my male patients either um, because, you know, they, they, they don't want to, they don't want to see, be seen like that, that, that somehow they're, you know, they're not a hundred percent, right? Cause when yeah. you see a cane, there's also that judgment, um, but yeah. definitely the cane. And then also teaching the patient how to use the cane is oh my God, yes. so essential. <laughs> <laughs> because I've seen my patients with a cane and they're using it on the side that hurts them the most. Yeah. No, <laughs> if they do that, if they use the cane on the side that, that, that is the, their, their worst side, they're actually putting even more pressure on that side. So they have to use the cane on the side that the contralateral side yeah. opposed to, to the one that, that they're having pain. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it'll work. Cause they don't offload the weight, right. So yeah. that they can, they can ambulate better totally. and have less symptoms. And that is another trick, another thing, another tool in the toolkit or the toolbox, totally. like I call it, um, to utilize when it comes to treatment. Totally. And I think it's so important that we don't underestimate ourselves, um, whether we're new or experienced NPs, like how many options we have. And I think yeah. that there's a component of, I want to say selling, cause that sounds super weird, but like, <laughs> it's almost like, I mean, it's just communication. It's like, it's like, yeah. I feel like I have to sell people on physical therapy and I have literally no agenda aside from helping them. Right. I get no financial gain. Like, so it's not, I don't even want to use that word, but at the same time, it's almost like you need to talk to patients about like, Hey, this actually can be helpful for you. Here's how it works. Let's try it. Right. And cause I think that so many like popular conception is like, Oh, just like, I need a med, 
right? I need medicine. I need this medicine in particular. And even we think that too, because I think that there's so many algorithmic approaches to medical care that it's like, okay, just choose this med first or do this thing next. Like, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, those like, and if we don't fully embody and believe the things that we're telling patients, like look at the research and seeing like, okay, this intervention actually can be helpful. Cause I feel like that comes up a lot with pain management in general, where it's like, everyone just wants to go straight to opiates. Not yeah. everyone, like nobody wants to, but everybody wants to. <laughs> and it's like, oh, let's talk about heat packs and cold packs. And so many people like dismiss that. And it's like, well, there's evidence, there's research, like we have to try things, you know? So, yeah. Um, so I, that's that's actually a very good thing when it comes to like the infamous back pain, right? Like you just mentioned that like heat packs, heat therapy. Um, but I think when it comes to back pain, because I know that, that a lot of, um, the questions were related to back pain is patient counseling. Um, and and back pain could be a scary thing. I've had it, I've had back pain. And mm-hmm. it's debilitating, right? And yeah. you think, oh my God, I cannot get out of my bed. I have to stay here. No, absolutely not on the country. You actually mm-hmm. want to get some exercise on. But the, yeah. the main thing with patient counseling with back pain and also as a clinician, the understanding should be that 90% of that acute uh, back pain, it's going to get better. It's going to yeah. take time, probably six weeks or, or, or a little bit more, yeah. but it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. And so having that understanding, it, it equips you as a clinician and also equips patients to be patient with the healing process, yeah. you know, and not jump right away to the opioid or something else. And there's so many other things, like you said, heating pack, um, acupuncture, mm-hmm. massage, you know, there, there's gun massage massagers out there that you can definitely utilize. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of that can be done. The NSAIDs actually one of the, the, when it comes to treatment plans for back pain, um, especially for acute, I like the clofenac, uh, cause yeah. that one actually works faster and better for the mm-hmm. acute episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is better than throwing the, the opioid or the tramadol, which I so often see, mm-hmm. um, in, it's like a little in baby step into back. opiates. I think people are just like, oh, just a little tramadol, a little codeine. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> can we not though? <laughs> um, I would love to talk to you forever. I think we do have to wrap, unfortunately, but I think two places to leave off. I think one is resources. People are asking about resources, whether or not they want to become a nurse practitioner in orthopedics, or if they just want to improve their orthopedic care in primary care, what resources would you recommend? Yeah. So I think I mentioned it to you um, when we were talking earlier, I, I actually created an entire resource for free. It's, a, it's like an orthopedic uh, nurse practitioner guide with my top resources. And this I developed when I was doing my, my board certification in orthopedics. Oh. There's so much out there yeah. and some of it is paid, some of it is not. Um, but I definitely, if, if, if they, they go in or if we can link the, the mm-hmm. resource guide, yeah. uh, they can download it. And I have all the links right there that they can utilize awesome. and, and, and get, get, get their hands on on that. Cool. Um, well, uh, we don't really have like a up-to-date ortho. <laughs> I was going to say, like, is there like an app or what the, what that thousand page book was? <laughs> I'd love to read that it. Was another, that was another thousand page book. Like when I came into, <laughs> so funny, when I came into the specialty, um, of course, I mean, I did my own research and that's a book that I found. I bought it. I read it. And yeah. that book was way too much oh, for what I should have gotten. So um, the, the book that I recommend is, is, I can't remember exactly the name, but it's musculoskeletal 
And it's the one that is recommended for, for when you're getting your board certification is by the AAOS. Cool. And AAOS. definitely a great guide. And it has, you want to learn about physical therapy? It has all the physical <laughs> therapy <laughs> you can imagine and, awesome. and how even how to teach it and like pamphlets that you can give to your patients. Totally. Um, yes, I love that. And um, I just personally speaking in primary care, I'm obsessed with UpToDate and Dynamed is another resource too. Um, there's nothing that's like specifically orthopedic in there, but I think right. in terms of that diagnostic approach of like knee pain, what location, what are those differentials? What are the next steps for imaging and the right imaging? I've not been as successful with maybe, but that's the, another way that I've done it is like through looking up like knee pain specifically differentials that way um, for people, but I'm very excited for them to <laughs> utilize your resources. So do you want to, my last question is where can people find you and learn more from oh. you? You have a lot of things coming. You can share whatever yeah. you care or not, but yeah, I want so, to keep um, Well, sure. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so I have, I have decided that I really want to do this. And, and so I created my website, www.npinsiders.com. And so they can go there. They can click at the bottom that I have um, the orthopedic simple course that I'm, I'm generating, I'm creating. And that's super exciting. That's in the works. And then they can download there also my, my ortho MP guide. Also, if you just go to my Instagram and is at NP Insiders. And there you can see all the resources as well. I have all the links in the link in bio. And I am definitely planning to get serious with this whole like <laughs> teaching my NP colleagues on social media. Yes. Because I think there's such a need. And I think um, this, this collaboration is amazing, right? Because there's nothing there's no better feeling that having all this amassed knowledge and be able to um, give it away, you know, and, 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 and share it with, with all the, the MPs that, that I know, or even that I don't know, or that just happen to, to find me on, on social media, because mm -hmm. it makes a big difference in their lives as clinicians and in their patients' lives. Absolutely. So I, I, I think that this will be something nice and positive for everybody. Yes, I can't wait. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> you know so many things and I can't wait to learn more from you. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. No, you're welcome. It's been my pleasure. And thank you so much again for everything that you're doing. And anytime you want to have me back, I'll come back. Awesome. More than happy to. Awesome. <laughs> That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com slash guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.